Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. everybody and welcome back to the Forza Italian Football Podcast. We're back again. You're going to be hearing a lot from us this week, particularly you patrons. We're, we're sorry in advance. Um, I'm your host, Connor Clancy, joined by Kev Fugzelski. Kev, say hello. Hi, everybody. A bit more happiness, enthusiasm. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, hi, everybody. It's been a long weekend. There's been a lot of alcohol. <laughs> ah, okay, there you go. Oh, that's just any other weekend for you, though, to be perfectly mm, yeah, honest. probably. Were you in Liverpool again this weekend? Yeah, we went out and spent a few days in Liverpool. Very nice. I can really hear how tired you sound. Um, but anyway, Vito Doria, fresh out of bed this morning with the coffee, I hope. I hope you're going to bring the energy to the pod. How are you keeping? Look, I'm fine. And yes, I did bring, uh, you know, I hope to bring the energy because I did have my coffee. And uh, in these situations, a coffee's essential. So, yeah, it's a great round to talk about uh, Serie A and yeah, hopefully I keep the buzz. Absolutely. Um, I, look, I'm going to say I'm going to need it anyway because I am absolutely shattered. I'm in the door, I think, 15, 20 minutes just before we started recording from a fantastic weekend in Venice, which you'll be able to read about on ForzaItalianFootball.com tomorrow morning. But our patrons over on Patreon.com forward slash ForzaItalianFootball We'll be able to read even more about it because it will feature very, very heavily in the, the Tuesday newsletter for this week, which leads me nicely on to the fact that ForzaItalianFootball.com are on Patreon. Last week, again, we produced three Patreon-exclusive pieces of content. There was the Champions League review pod, the Serie A preview pod, and the aforementioned Tuesday newsletter. The, the idea of that is to just give you a little bit of taste of what's going on in Italy, we take a look at the, the newspaper headlines of what they've really been focusing on throughout the week. I touch on where I've been that given weekend, and then we finish off with something else as well. So patreon.com forward slash Forza Italian football.com. There's a two euro, five euro, and a 10 euro tier. Any support is greatly appreciated. The more you guys support us, the better the content gets. And to be frank, the more games we get to go to and not just Sassuolo every other week. So Please head over, sign up, join the party. Anyway, the Serie A action finished this weekend. Well, it didn't actually because Udinese and Napoli is still to be played on Monday evening. The The game of the round was Juventus-Milan. It finished 1-1, but it all started on Friday when Sassuolo lost 1-0 to Torino. Then Fiorentina beat Genoa 2-1. Inter thumped Bologna 6-1. Salernitana were good but lost 1-0 to Atalanta. A Chicho Caputo inspired Sampdoria beat Empoli 3-0. Venezia beat, were beaten 2-1 by Spezia. Cagliari and Lazio were 2-2. And Verona beat Roma 3-2. Anyway, we're going to start where, well, it, it didn't finish, but you know what I mean. Juve Milan in Turin. Kev, 
Juventus probably went into this as underdogs, as crazy as that is to say, but they started brilliantly and will end disappointed that they could only get a draw against Milan. Yeah, certainly went in as underdogs being, uh, what were they, eight points behind Milan, yet to win this season. Milan were uh, looking at a perfect start to start to the season. Um, but they did start really well. Um, I was at Anfield on Wednesday night and it looked as though Allegri had also kept a keen eye on that because it was almost as if he started in very much, or he had Juventus starting in very much the same way in which Liverpool kind of just battered um, Milan for the first uh, sort of 15, 20 minutes. I think uh, Anfield, they would have stood, well, apart from conceding the own goal, which was sort of 13 shots in the first 15 minutes and it looked, looked to be... Looked to be a similar sort of uh, approach from from Allegri, although um, without kind of the cutting edge. And I just wonder whether he maybe was remembering some of his previous Juve size of a better kind of pedigree because as soon as they sort of tired, and even with uh, Milan losing Simon Kier just before half-time, once they managed to kind of uh, regroup, and come out for the second half. They dominated lots of the ball. Um, and I think Juve will be disappointed because Antti Rebic, who got the got the equaliser on 75 minutes, was having a not a terrible game, but just a really quiet game. And without Ibrahimovic or Olivier Giroud to kind of provide that focal point. Um, Rafael Liao actually was having quite a poor game. And I did wonder if, if it was worth just switching those over. But eventually... Corner gets swung over by Tonali and virtually unmarked. Um, certainly an avoidable goal for, mm. for Juventus. And I think that's why they will go away tonight feeling really disappointed that they've not um, sort of made some ground on the um, teams that they will be trying to chase for a Scudetto. But it's looking like a, you know, even with what we said last week, I think it was about how they, how badly they started in 2015-16 with under Allegri. It, it, it looks like this year is going to be another season of struggle like the last. Yeah, it, it does. I felt so sad and disappointed that it was an unmarked header because the man, in inverted commas, marking him was, was new boy Manuel Locatelli and he didn't do himself any favours with that attempt of, of keeping tabs on him. But Vito, Kev, was he, he pointed this out. Juventus are still without a win in Serie A this season. I saw this result as quite a positive and in my head that, I don't know, because they got that good win in midweek in the Champions League and then drawing with Milan, I thought, oh yeah, th- things are things are okay. But very much not, right? Because they still haven't won a game yet in Serie A. Yeah, it's uh, quite incredible that uh, Juve have not got a win in four league games. And I'll just throw a statistic I've just uh, seen here on... Uh, Opta, and uh, it says that Juventus have been winless in their first four league games for the fourth time in their history. So 42-43, which the City rivals Torino won the title, 55-56, and the 1961-62 season. So it's quite a long time between drinks, and uh, yeah, it's quite alarming that uh, they have this. I mean, I tend to agree with Kev that, uh, you know, that, uh, you know, they did have that bad side in 2015, 2016. So, you know, they might be able to bounce back, but it certainly won't be easy. And 
it shows that uh, Allegri is still trying to find his way with this call of players. With all due respect to Malmo, um, I think that was a fixture that came at an ideal time for Juve to get a confidence booster. But uh, at this stage, it looks like uh, they're still having their fair share of difficulties in Serie A. Mm. Kev, Juve did fly out of the traps. And I was quite surprised because you looked at the team and I think it's probably fair to say it was quite a pragmatic 11 from from Allegri. I mean, it's not a great surprise, but Quadrado was the the nominal right winger, you know, and when Juventus are really playing their stuff, he's the right back and I don't know, Chiesa's playing in that position, but did it come to you as a surprise that, that Juventus were as on the front foot as they were early on? And then secondly, what was it that caused them to stop being so dominant? Um, it it did kind of come as a surprise that they pushed so so much. You could see reasons why they did it. Um, Alexandro was extremely positive down the down the left hand side, and I think that was brought about by um, Tamori having to to fill in in the absence of Calabria, and then uh, even with uh, Kalulu uh, taking over after Kier had gone off, he continued to kind of probe down that side. Um, there was an element of maybe. They saw how well Tio Hernandez was kind of pinned back by Mo Salah midweek, um, and Quadrado was certainly tasked with that. I think that's what they that's what they were looking to achieve. But once they'd sort of withstood the first sort of fifteen minutes, that only brought the opening goal for for Morata. Um, but you know, largely because it came from a from a Milan corner of a, a wonderful counter attack. Once they withstood that, it almost was as if. The belief went out of the Juventus players, apart from probably Dybala, who was who was continually scheming, putting his foot into to tackles a little bit more than what I recall seeing him in you know previous uh, previous matches. In almost a way to to say, come on, you know we've we've had this positive start just because maybe the the two or three goals haven't come because shortly after uh, Morata scored, he cut across. Um, uh, I think it was Romagnoli, and got a, a toe poke, which Mannion saved there down to his right. And then Dybala had a, a sort of a shot from outside the area of his weaker right foot that got tipped around the post for a corner. Um, and it, it does, it feels like, it feels like the, the leaf drains out of this Juventus side probably quicker than I've ever seen it previously. Um, yeah, probably discounting last year where you could where you could see that. But I always put last year down to a bit of a, Sort of pedestrian passing and and kind of just a, a sluggishness to their play rather than actually, I think they were probably drilled this week to say, look, this team can, you know, this Milan team can get be got at if we go for them and we take our chances. But it felt like they gave up on that way too early. Yeah, on to Milan then. Actually, just before we do go on to Milan, I want to say I was happy but also intrigued to see Dejan Kulusevski come off the bench for Juventus because our friends over at the Italian Football Podcast, uh, Nima and Carlo, did an interview with Sven-Goran Eriksson during the week and he said that he's been told that Allegri doesn't really... I guess he doesn't really trust Kulusevski. He, he says that he's of the opinion that uh, Allegri doesn't think that Kulusevski can read a game well enough, which... 
disappointing. Hopefully it's something that Allegri, as you know, Juventus coach, can teach his player to to do a little bit better. But we'll see. On to Milan. A good comeback, Vito, and encouraging signs that they were able to have this adversity and come back, given the disappointment from midweek of that loss against Liverpool, which we, we discussed on one of the bonus pods on Patreon. But something about Ante Rebic and, and this season, he's hit a, a lovely vein of form, and maybe even when they don't have Giroud and Ibrahimovic, they're all right because Rebic is in this form this season. It's a promising start for him, and uh, I think it's great for Pioli to see that Rebic is playing well at this stage. Uh, last season, and perhaps the second half of the 2019-20 season, uh, we saw that uh, he would try and fit in Lau and Rebic into the team, and they looked better off as left-wingers, but playing that lone striker role was not convenient for them. It seems now that Rebic has probably become more settled in the Rossoneri squad. And instead of just playing on the left wing, he can play up front. And uh, I think with that confidence, that familiarity with his teammates, that allows him to play better. He was involved with both goals last week. This time he scores the decisive equaliser. And... Yeah, going forward, I think it's important that he can show that versatility and maintain that form because once uh, Giroud and maybe if Zlatan comes back, I think the additional depth is better and also Pioli might be able to come up with different strategies to confuse opponents. If all three are fit and in form at once, then uh, Milan don't have to have this dependency on one player for goals or for assists. It keeps the opposition on their toes and perhaps uh, this will help them to challenge for a Champions League spot again and maybe even in the Champions League bounce back from that Liverpool loss and obtain some results in that competition too. Do you think this is something that maybe has not been spoken of quite enough about this this Milan attack in that they've got Liao, Rebic and, and Brahim and they're all kind of players who don't have a fixed point of where they play in attack they love to move about must be a bit of a nightmare to defend against because a center back doesn't have that point of reference to like to cling on to and maybe this is something that people should be talking a little bit more about uh, it would be very concerning especially if the center back depending on who the team is and whoever that specific defender is, they might get drawn too far forward or too far wide. So that would leave gaps for for the defence. And the way the game is played now with zonal defending as opposed to the man-marking system, it's easy for gaps to be exposed and to either uh, play, the, play a through ball or break the offside trap in different ways. So that kind of movement... Uh, for AC Milan will definitely confuse other defenders. And as I was alluding to earlier, I think that's where AC Milan potentially can get more goals, mm. you know, getting these different options and finding different ways to go uh, be a real bonus for them moving forward. Kev, Frank Gassi, I think it's fair to say he didn't have his best night. I know he's in contract talks at the moment with the club and a lot of people were obviously quick to say, oh, how can he demand this much money when he's playing like this? I mean, it's one game. He's just played at the 
Olympics as well. Frank Essie is bloody good. He had an off day, but fortunately for Milan, Sandro Tonali didn't, and he was probably one of the better players on the pitch. He got the assist for the for the goal, but I don't want to give him too much credit for that because it was just a pretty standard corner that he happened to find a teammate with. Um, but Tonali's good. He's been good for, for quite a while now, and there are signs of encouragement for Milan pretty much all over the team. Yeah, I think when I saw um, Tonali midweek, he came off the bench and he was very he was very physical. I think, you know, they were trying to just kind of... I think they, they would have already been losing um, at, at that point. And there was, a, there was a lot more of that from him tonight. Um, like you say, it was quite uh, subdued from Kessie with regards to kind of holding the ball up. And certainly his passing was was slow. It was, it was certainly an off night for the... Um, for the former Atalanta man, but Tonali was everywhere. Putting <laughs> his, it was one of those you, you, you kind of your brain's still stuck in this Pirlo comparison. But when oh, you kind stop. of see him, but when you see him charging about, you realise that he is such a different player. Um, mm. And it'll be interesting actually if he becomes more dominant from a kind of a you know because he's obviously his body's probably still growing as well, being so young. And if he then be you know because he's got a wonderful passing range, if he can add sort of the physicality to sort of hold players off the ball and recover uh, possession, then um, he's going to be very important for Milan going forward. Particularly if they you know say they lost Kessie, um, you know due to the contract contract issues. But uh, yeah, it was another impressive impressive game, and uh, hopefully he gets a few more. Obviously, we spoke about Kessie missing because of the Olympics, mm-hmm. but. Um, yeah, it would be interesting if Kessie retains his, his place for the next game because it's obviously everything's coming up thick and fast this week and whether uh, Ben Asser will come in alongside Tonali instead. Kev, I'll stick with you. A slight concern for, for Milan would be that Simon Kaya got injured. He's apparently done something to his right thigh. At the time of recording on Sunday evening, we do not know the extent of it. They... There are reports that he will undergo further tests over the next couple of days. Obviously, you'd imagine that will be done within the next 48 hours. So by the time we reconvene for midweek, who knows? Maybe he'll have played, um, uh, or at least we will probably know the extent of his injury. But with with young, young Kalulu coming in again, he did well last season when he was called upon, and he did a solid job again this evening. But you just look at that defense and, all right, if he is to play with Romagnoli this season, I'm, I'm, am I looking for things here to to point at and say that's a potential weakness for Milan? I think one of the big problems they had tonight was actually um, Kier and Romagnoli together. You know, when the when Juventus were trying to sort of break quickly on them, and that that injury has clearly come about from him kind of at his age, sort of fussing a gut to get back, uh, and you know something's gone there. Hopefully, it's it's not. You know, I think abductor muscles in the fire are much much trickier injury than a hamstring that you kind of can rest up if he's he's felt it go because he hasn't sort of kind of pulled up in agony. Um, and actually, that was where one of the positives came from Milan because I think them being able to switch Tamori into the middle it allowed some pace in the centre of defence, which you know against other sides as well will 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 mean that they're safeguarded against the sort of the the, the quicker attackers in the division and Kalulu. I, I thought he did really well and I felt he was let down a little by Salamakas in front of him because Salamakas kept drifting inside and actually got in the way of Diaz sometimes. And I think it was probably because they were looking for a goal and Rebic and Liao were having sort of a kind of off nights um, or at least so-so nights. 
And actually, I was really impressed with Kalulu with the, his delivery um, that he actually went to get, go, you know, go to the byline because it could, would have been easy for him to kind of go on and just try and do the, you know, his defensive duties being, uh, you know, young and inexperienced as he is. And um, yeah, I, I think he can grow into that role. Uh, I don't know personally how long Calabria is out for. I didn't, until, I, until I started watching the game, I didn't realise he was missing because um, I got the team news quite late. But um, I think I think he could be fine. I think it will. Romagnoli looked like he was uh, a little bit more focused than he has maybe been over the last couple of years when he's kind of lost his lost his place. Very balanced from you, Kev. I'm impressed. Definitely, um, definitely not a lot of bias in that i'm just scrambling to try and find out information about david calabria because you you put me on the spot but gazetta are basically saying that all of milan's injured players are to be evaluated so i can't even provide you with any update there i'm very very sorry anyway that'll do it for part one we'll be back in part two to talk about something that's going to make Fito very very happy i always uh, talk about uh, education and respect and uh, I demand this, I give this, but I demand this. And uh, if someone uh, um, haven't the, the good attitude during the organization or good behaviors in, uh, in different uh, circumstances, uh, yeah, I prefer to kill him. Okay, we're back. Part two. We're going to go to Liguria. More specifically, we're going to go to Genova. More specifically, we're going to talk about Genoa, the Griffone. They were beaten, Vito, 2-1. And look, after the winding up of you that I engaged in last week, I think you can probably get your own back here and and celebrate a little bit in the fact that Fiorentina went to Marassi. 1-2-1, thanks in part to a former Sampdoria man in Ricardo Saponara. Um, so yeah, there you go, Vito. Take it away. Uh, it was a game that Fiorentina dominated, and I don't think the scoreline really reflected on the dominance. Even on a waterlogged pitch and some rain early on in the game, the Viola showed that they were the better side, they were very composed on the ball, and with the style of play under Italiano, they show that regardless of the weather conditions and where they're playing, they are a team that's going to attack the opponent. Genoa were pegged back most of the time and only really tried to offer any sort of threat on the counter-attack. But it really took the second half for the Viola to really get back into the game or to actually get on the scoreboard. And uh, it was a former Sampdoria and Genoa player that got them into the game. So it was uh, Ricardo Saponara with a piece of magic to to score that uh, first goal. And it was a lovely strike. And then he provided a delightful assist for Giacomo Bonaventura. And uh, he essentially returned the favour because it was Bonaventura for the pass for the first goal. And then it was a pretty cool finish on Bonaventura's part to seal the win. Yeah, so, um, you know, you had Saponara hit that, that rocket and then Bonaventura pick up, uh, you know, pick up with the, um, the the winner. Although, you know, Genoa got a late sort of consolation for the penalty spot. Um I think that Sapanara goal and everything else this weekend was sort of we had a we had a kind of a goal of the month competition all in one weekend because there was sort of some real 
sort of stunning strikes to go alongside them. There was the, the beauty that we'll get onto at Venezia that we'll probably leave there. Um, Vito's very own Sampdoria had Candreva for once kind of not, you know, sending a shot, <laughs> sending a cross, sorry, into sort of the stands and actually sort of get, had a lovely curling effort. And then you had the back hill from Pellegrini during the Roma game. The worldie from, uh, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get this pronunciation really wrong, but uh, Faruni, Faruni that won the game for, for Verona, which was probably, you know, my pick of the goals for the weekend, that sort of cushioned control and then to hit it with the other foot. And I think it helped that the goalkeeper died for it, Rui Patricia, and it sort of kissed the um, the crossbar coming down. But but yeah, kind of um, kind of started with that Sapanara strike. Some of these uh, these sort of goal of the month contenders that, that we goal. don't that we don't do that maybe we need to consider for our <laughs> patrons. We used to do goal of the month, and to be perfectly honest, it was an absolute pain to organise. So. Maybe for the patrons, but I, I highly doubt we'll ever do that again. I, if we do, it's not going to be anything that I'm involved with because it was too much. It was. I'm just too mentioning much. it to get you more work. So, cheers, mate. <laughs> no, You've already a... done that on the edit job on this pod, so I appreciate that very, very much. I should have should also actually mention Jacko's two goals. You kind of forget about him, right? But the first touch and toe poke, and then the one from a close angle was was lovely. We'll do that, but okay later. Um. Anyway, <laughs> cheers, Kev. Back to Fiorentina. Vito, you've got to just take your hat off to the work that Italiano was doing there this season because how many coaches have we seen come and go at that club and do absolutely nothing? And I know it's something that you've been writing about, which will be published on ForzaItalianFootball.com tomorrow morning, Monday. So by the time people are listening to this, it will be out. So go read it. But Italiano's work, he's just he's doing a fine job there. So far, so good. Four games in, they've won three matches. The only game they've lost was the opening round game against Roma in Rome. And uh, even in that game, they did not play badly at all. It was just uh, that bad mistake from Drongovsky in that game that was quite costly. But other than that, they've bounced back and they've got a clear plan, a style of play that suits the squad that's at uh, Italiano's disposal. And uh, they'll definitely be a team to watch whether they'll finish in the top half or actually challenge for a European spot, it remains to be seen. But uh, Italiano is laying some good foundations so far. It's interesting that Vichai mentions the um, the squad at Italiano's disposal because um, there was somewhere else that I saw somebody mention that he's doing a lot of this with kind of the players that were there when he came in. It's not, you know, they haven't had massive arrivals that have suddenly sort of allowed them to kind of kick on this season. It really does maybe show, firstly, the level of his coaching now he's organised that team, obviously coming in just this summer, but also maybe the failings of coaches before them that have maybe wanted wanted their own players rather than... I think Fiorentina for a long time have needed a coach that will look at that you know the tools at his disposal and make something of it. You know, we've always, we're always talking about something that's bigger than the sum of its parts, and he seems to be doing that there. But it, I think it exposes how bad a job the previous coaches did, to be honest with you, because you look at that Fiorentina team, they're not a team of mugs, right? They've got Bonaventura, Callejon, Ribéry was there, Amrabat's there, Vlaovic, Chiesa was there, 
Milenkovic is a decent defender. Drangovsky is one of the best goalkeepers in Serie A. They've had good players. They've just been a circus for the last few years. And to be perfectly honest with you, I think some of that is probably coming from the very, very top of the club. Because every time you open a newspaper here, you know who's moaning about something, um, about the stadium or, or whatever else it will be. And I just, I'm not, I'm not sure what was going on before Italiano came in, but you've just got to say, he, I, I don't want this to seem like I'm taking anything away from him either because he is doing an excellent job to, to have made such an impact so quickly is remarkable but it does also expose just how crap everybody before him was Cesare Prandelli I think I will exclude from that because he did okay Vito if we talk about the previous coaches specifically I think yeah, it does show that they were bad I mean Prandelli I think it's more just uh I think just in terms of experience and just the timing of his uh, coaching career, I don't think he is of the level that he was 10, 15 years ago when he was at Fiorentina the first time round. And uh, you know, the first half of his spell with Italy was quite decent, but after the Euro 2012 final, he's regressed as a coach. So I think it's just more of a sign of him being on his final legs. Uh, Iacchini, he encourages his teams to work hard, but uh, very simplistic in his coaching approach and uh, he's uh, a pragmatist at best. So he wasn't going to really improve a lot of players. And then Montella, he's another player that, uh, sorry, coach that has regressed significantly because the first time around he did a fantastic job then. And they were getting Europa League spots. They reached the semifinals of the Europa League in 2014-15, but at the same time, I would give Mo Salah a lot of credit for putting that incredible run together. But, you know, going to Samp, then at Milan, he did okay. But after that, he's just gone backwards and and regressed as a coach. And I don't think there's much of a future for him. So for Italiano to do what he's done, I think it really shows how great he's done, and also that uh, he's really got some ideas. The other coaches, you know, probably had less ideas or just a much more simplistic way of coaching in comparison to what Italian has, Italiano has done in the first four rounds. Yeah, well, look, we saw just how good of a coach Italiano was with that Spezia team last season, the, the job he did there again, just so good. So good. He's a very, very exciting coach and one to absolutely keep an eye on as this season progresses, but more so as his career progresses. Kev, we did have a question that was sent into us on Twitter. Well, not really a question, more something being pointed in in our, more specifically, your direction, because there was a tweet from a guy called James Campbell Taylor, who said, are Fiorentina the first team to ever wear four different kits? in their opening four games of the season. And then the, the Football Chronicles podcast said, this sounds like something Kev might have a spreadsheet on. I'm sure you don't have a spreadsheet on every start of the season that has ever been played, but have you been doing any digging about this? Yeah, I tried to do a little bit of digging. Um, it, it, it does feel, from what I could not unearth, that Fiorentina may be the first club in history. I think they're probably one of the few clubs that actually ha- have four kits anyway um so that kind of does help them it gives them an advantage over other sides um the one that i thought of just before coming 
uh, on to do this pod was that um, Bayern Munich played in a Bavarian mm. specialist kit. So I thought, well, have they played in their home, their away, their third and this Bavarian one this season, but then they probably had Champions League games in the way. And I think that I think the Bundesliga are on their fifth round of fixtures. So maybe even maybe even Bayern haven't done it this season. But um it it, it looks like Fiorentina have got what I would want to be an an unwanted an unwanted record um because it's somewhat ridiculous. I've been meaning to talk to you because you're a you're a fraud. You liked the Bayern kit. That surely goes against absolutely everything you stand for, other than the fact that it's beer related. I, I like the colour combination. I didn't like the thought of them having the kit, but I did like the, uh, I think it's probably racing green and gold is what they would class as. Yeah, you said you went for racing green. Um, quite interesting. I'd, I'd go for it as like a foresty green. You know, that it was that dark. colour. It is a lovely kit, you've got to say. You've got to say. We'll we'll be talking a little bit more about more lovely kits in part three. Jose Mourinho, the man who stole the show. You're the special one and you're dynamo. Whoa, whoa. Jose Mourinho, you're special. You're special. You'll always be special, Jose. Guys, I went to Venezia this weekend, as you no doubt saw if you follow me on Twitter. And I've got to say, I had a lovely time from... Well, not quite from the moment I got there because it was Venice. I obviously got lost on on my way to my Airbnb. Fortunately, just the once. And then I was back on track and I got there, dropped my stuff off, went around the city. But the reason I was there was for the Sunday afternoon game, the standalone 3 p.m. Sunday game, oddly. Um, Although Ewan did point that out to us on the, the preview pod and I was... I refused to believe it until it was happening today. And then I was looking for the other results and I thought, oh, okay. Ewan was onto something there. But Venezia, unfortunately, playing a Serie A game in Venice for the first time since April 2002, couldn't get their first Serie A win in Venice since February 2002. They they fell just short and it was quite heartbreaking the way it happened. Kev, I know you watched this one as well, but Venezia went 1-0 down, then they, they fought back to be at 1-1. And then in the final minutes, they were the team pushing and pushing for the, the winner. But Medi Burabia got it for Venet- or for Spezia at the other end in the 94th minute with, with another one of these good goals we've seen in Serie A this weekend. But it was it was out of nowhere. And you've just got to feel for the, the Arancionero Verde, which is the most complicated nickname to say in Serie A because I've put three colours in there but it was a bitter pill for them to swallow yeah I certainly won't be saying that (laughs) (laughs) I'll struggle enough with players names Um, yeah I I think um, you even did them a little bit of a disservice there sort of saying that they were pushing towards the end of the game I thought there was was large spells of that second half where it felt like it was you're right and because it was the only uh, game being Serie A game being broadcast at a time I did sit down and watch it and I found myself feeling frustrated for them because I, well, I, I thought it was kind of kind of play out to a draw. I thought it was it was starting to highlight maybe a, a real lack of quality that will see them ultimately maybe plummet back down to Serie B because they were they were getting down the lines and then the cross would go in. And it's like oh, where have you hit that to? You know, then they might not get many people in the box, but it's like the cross then needs to be accurate. 
or they get to the edge of the box and then somebody sort of, you know, a proper kind of almost felt like a lower league shank into the sort of stands. And it's like, oh, you know, if you just had a little bit more quality, your dominance would probably be yielding more goals. And while you don't want, you don't want clubs to come up and then kind of just spend their way into buying that quality in, um, you feel that it's kind of going to prove, it's going to, firstly, it's going to prove a really important result because Spezia will be down there challenging as well. But it feels like it's going to be what we're going to see a lot of from Venezia, and and it's gonna it's gonna cause them to probably not be able to keep themselves uh, in Syria. I I was quite encouraged watching this Venezia team because until today I was convinced Venezia don't have a chance at staying up, but they're they're slowly winning me round. I, I will confess this is the first time I've watched an entire ninety minutes of them this season, but. I was very enamoured, I suppose you could say, with Dennis Johnson. He's a 23-year-old Norwegian forward and he's he's had time with Ajax, Aaron Veen in the past. He's an under-21 international and he was so lively. And I know there's this thing where blonde players are statistically more likely to be scouted because they stand out because of their hair. And he's this big, tall, blonde guy. So he does stand out. But my God, he is fun to watch. Some of his little touches as well. The ball would come to him 40 yards and he'd flick it off with an elegant little touch and then just get on a run. And I do think that he's going he's gonna to provide them with some moments this season. And if those moments are enough for them to stay up, he's going to get a, a move next summer. You can see it happening already. Um, but yeah, Johnson, I'm telling you guys, keep an eye on him. I said it about Kulusevski at the beginning of his Parma season. Keep an eye on Dennis Johnson at Venezia. I think that with uh, Dennis Johnson, though, he really needs to work on his shooting. And this game, and uh, notice it more last week, uh, he probably should have had a few more goals. So uh, if uh, Paolo Zanetti can uh, work on that aspect of his game, I think he'll be a very dangerous player and could be decisive if they have any chance to stay in Serie A this season. Because like you said, he's got the height, but he's very mobile, quite graceful. He has those bursts of pace and he has got, he's got that very good ball control, but uh, uh, the finishing is definitely lacking. So... More work on that, and I think that's how a team like Venezia might be able to obtain some results. Vito's slated his shooting now, so watch him pop up with a winner against Sam player in the season. <laughs> that, I do take that point completely, because his final product, and there were a couple of crosses, I mean, Kev referred to a cross that was shanked into the stands. One of those was Johnson's today, but I think it's a product of him trying things that other players aren't necessarily trying and as far as the finishing goes I think it's more going to be down to David Okereke and Thomas Henry who we've got to talk about he wears the number 14 and his name is TH Henry avoid that number choose any other number don't take the number 14 you're only going to be a disappointment and I, I was quite disappointed with him today but because I was expecting him to be Thierry Henry, obviously. Um, it wasn't to be. But that Venezia front three, they move. They move. And like what we were saying about Milan, must be a nightmare 
to defend against because you never know where they are. They're all over the place. Um, another player was was okay for a, for a bit today was of course the the American Gianluca Buzio, and he was very warmly applauded by the the Venetians both when his name was read out at the beginning of the game and when he was substituted and he was dead on his feet. He got the assist though, so getting Venezia's first Serie A assist in Venice in in what nineteen years that's a not a bad memory for the guy who's just come over here. But Kev, how you feeling after this? Spezia obviously getting three big big points. I bigged it up before the the game as being a potential not not necessarily a six pointer, but a game that come the end of the season we will probably look back at and say, huh. That had quite a big say in, in who finished where. Yes, so uh, yeah, so I've I've been to Venice once, and like you said earlier about getting lost, it's it's difficult to to navigate your way around. But it was it was hard with the reduced capacities to see if you know the them being back in Sierra had sort of piqued the interest of local people. Uh, I know it's not not one of the easiest places to 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 get to, and I wonder if it if it was at full capacity if there were general emissions. Well, so that's free. what I, I went. That's what I stopped you for because we we got given the the attendance figures, which I was so happy about because I keep notes uh, in my mm-hmm. little. I've got a little notebook which you can see that I I, I keep notes of the the starting elevens from every game that I go to. I keep number of the game it is, the date, the substitutions, the goal scorers, and also the referees, the VAR people, and the attendances. But people haven't been giving attendance figures during the pandemic, even when there were fans in stadiums, which has annoyed me. Venezia, thank you very, very much, because you did. You did, and you even printed them out for us. So the the Pierluigi Penso holds 7,500 normally, and we are currently operating at 50% capacity. And there were 3,688 people in attendance 193 of those were Spezia fans so that is 50% attendance so I would say that your chances of getting a ticket for there are relatively slim if things stay as they are but we don't know what the roadmap is going to be we should have a bit of a more of an idea at the end of this month Draghi should say what's going to happen for October and possibly November as well so I think we we might be able to see an increased um, capacity at stadium. So so who knows, Kev? Once Draghi speaks, I'll let you know. Okay, that would be that would be good because as you know, I'm due over in December. Yes, you're going to get that meal. I promise you. <laughs> two meals. Have two meals. Yeah, two meals. Um, and you'll be buying for me and Stace. So it's going to be an expensive night out for you. Two expensive nights she's out. Not, she's not coming. Oh, is she not? Okay. No. Okay. Just me. Oh God! Right. I prefer Stace, uh, but anyway, <laughs> most people do. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, that'll do it for part three. Jose Mourinho, you're special. Right, part four. I think it's part four. I've lost count to be honest, but let's run through the rest of the Serie A fixtures, shall we? Up near the top of the table. Inter beat Bologna 6-1 and I felt for our friend and commentator Patrick Kendrick because he felt something that I felt but was bold enough to tweet it before the game which was that he thought Bologna might do a job against Inter. I retweeted it before the game, not one of these post-match trolls 
um, because I did actually think that Bologna could go there and do a job. Thought it a little bit less when I saw that Muzabaro wasn't starting, but Vito, 6-1. This was relentless from Inter. I did not expect the scoreline to be that comprehensive, despite uh, Bologna leaking goals like a sieve um, so far this season in all competitions. Except uh, against Atalanta. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, nil-nil draw. Yeah, mind-boggling. Back to this game, though. It just shows that uh, even, uh, you know, with uh, Simone Inzaghi, four league games in charge, he's really got this team maintaining the good performances from last season, playing with a bit more fluidity and slickness. And uh, it was good to also see some of the new signings or returnees put in a good performance. So you had your usual suspects like Lautaro play well. And uh, and the back line, especially, you know, Milan Skrinja, can't really fault him, another fine performance. But to see Denzel Dumfries at right wing back and Federico Di Marco on the left, they both played well as also to have them providing their input from the flanks. I think that's uh, impressive on their part. And uh, overall, yeah, just a great display from Inter. But Bologna just, uh, yeah, talk about a terrible day at the office. Mm. And aside from Barrow, they seem to have most of the regular teams. So, yeah, that's going to be a real shock to the system. And you've got to wonder where does Mahalovic's future lie from here? I felt bad for Aaron Hickey, you know, because Dumfries just ate him alive, spat him out and then ate him again. It was tough watching that. Really, really tough. But um, welcome to top-level professional footballers, I suppose, for Hickey. He's still very much learning Still a decent player who's improving, um, but yeah, a painful one. Friday evening then is where it all started, and it started in, in Reggio Emilia. I was there, the, the other game I was at this weekend. Let me tell you, it felt good being at two games in a weekend again. It's been a while, but Torino left with a 1-0 win. Marco Piazza scored a very late goal. I think it was the 83rd minute, but... God knows how it took 83 minutes for a goal to go in in this game because I lost count of the number of times the woodwork was hit. Sassuolo hit it once. Torino hit it, I think, twice, maybe three times, possibly even four times. They had two shots cleared off the line. Sassuolo had a goal ruled out for offside. And Concilia, I believe, made a good save as well, but I might have just invented that. But there was a lot of goal mouth action and just not very many goals. And I've got to put that blame on myself because I am a curse this season when it comes to goals because I'm just not seeing very many when I go to men's football. When I go to women's football, I see plenty. So maybe I should just bin off the, the men's Serie A and just stick with Serie A Feminile because I have a much better time at those games to be perfectly honest with you when it comes to goals. But what can you do? Um, what else was there? This weekend, Kev, Salernitana, Atalanta, Atalanta scraped a 1-0 win and, and Salernitana can feel very, very hard done by. Yeah, there were, it, it started uh, as if Atalanta were going to kind of steamroll them. And then again, it was a little bit like um, some of the other games this weekend where it just kind of grinded on a little bit until they finally got that goal. Um, it's... Kind of a classic move from Zapata. You know, he he, uh, 
he did it against Villarreal almost and laid the ball off for uh, for, for Freuler mm. to to score the first goal. But instead, he kind of turned. I think he was probably he he might have found himself a little bit surprised to actually turn and not have a defender on his back because he almost had a free shot at goal. But um, yeah, they'll be they'll be glad even though we know they start slowly to to get three points against um, Salernitana, who will be down there and struggling and. Um, they need to kind of keep pace with the other sides that have had quite good starts to the season. I probably felt that there should have been a few more goals in this game, but uh, one uh, particular highlight, at least from Salernitana's perspective, was that chance uh, Joel Obi had to score where he hit the post. That back heel assist from Federico Bonatelli, that was special. If only the ball went into the net, um, I think more people would be talking about that assist or I would be talking it up a lot more because that was sublime. Mm. David Zappacosta's miss late on. Good Lord. Good Lord. I, I don't know how he didn't put that in. It was it was almost an open goal and, and the position he found himself in was astonishing that he didn't manage to put it away. Vito. I said in my post-match video from the Mape Stadium that there was a little bit of a, a Chicho Caputo-sized hole in Sassuolo's attack, and that's because he's banging in goals for Sampdoria now. He went to his former club, Empoli. He bagged two, Candreva got the other. Sampdoria left with their first win under Roberto De Versa. Everyone's happy. Yes, uh, I saw some tweets from the... Some story of fans actually in Italy and uh, usually a very pessimistic bunch, but uh, they were really overjoyed with the results and the performance. Uh, Caputo in particular had an excellent game and uh, shows why you know he was brought in because we can't have a Quagliarella dependency. He was just so calm when he put the ball in the back of the net both times. And uh, for me, I think based on those goals, he was the man of the match. But uh, Antonio Candreva probably had... His uh, best game so far for the club as well. He wasn't always on the right wing. He would drift to the left, sometimes down the middle, and uh, he scored a lovely goal himself. So, yeah, Caputo and Candreva were the standouts. And even in the first half, the much maligned Omar Colley even had a solid game defence. So, good to get to the first win of the season. The performances in general have been quite impressive. So, hopefully, Roberto Daversa can you know keep obtaining the results and uh, I think uh, he'd be glad that now at Samp he's got a better team to work with and uh, having a struggle like Caputo despite his age um, he's still showing his class. Uh, Caputo's... What, is, um, what, what is Caputo drinking during his celebration Beer. because a man a, a man of my age he's putting the phone receiver in his sort of mouth no he's because <laughs> you know that's that's what it is he's drinking beer um, in a big like um what are they called is it a tankard with the big handles and you hold but i don't uh, know okay. yeah because he's got okay. his um a little beer of each other doesn't he? he he like has a what's it called what's the name of a thing that a brewery he's got a brewery i'm pretty sure he's high up in and yeah he's always advertising it and stuff so yeah there you go anyway it was a bad weekend for the club from the capital, starting with Lazio. They drew 2-2 with Cagliari. Of course, Ciro Immobile scored, so did Danilo Cataldi. But in between those two goals, João Pedro and Keita Balde scored for the the Islanders. Um, Kev? Yeah, it was, uh, it was a relatively interesting game. Um, obviously, on the back of Lazio in midweek, if anybody saw Strakosch's oh, mistake God. in the... Uh, in Europe, um, 
So yeah, that that was the first bit of hilarity from uh, the, the blue side of the capital. And then, um, although it, although it's not kind of linked to Lazio, if anybody watched this game, they would have seen the ball dropping to uh, Walter Mazzari on the bench, and he went to boot the ball back like to for a goal kick, but he absolutely sliced it, and the referee booked him. And I thought, <laughs> what? What are you doing? And I thought he's actually tried to deliver the ball back. He's absolutely <laughs> missed a shot. But it was the way that he kind of had his arms outstretched and then he was sort of saluting the crowd. But I think it's the first time I've ever seen Matt, uh, Matt Zari smile. It's, um, it's it's quite chilling. Did he smile? Uh, but yeah, he kind of he kind of smiled um, from from the angle from the, the camera that was across the kind of across the pitch to him rather than I think he was initially frustrated with the booking. You sure it was him? Um, but maybe. Yeah, well, maybe he got a cheer from the Lazio fans after doing it, but uh, there was certainly a there was certainly an angle of him smiling with his arms out a lot, but uh, it tickled me ever so slightly. Yeah, I mean, I'm disappointed to see Semplici gone, but and to be honest, disappointed to see Matsari back, but he will provide some brief moments of of discussion on this podcast. I'm sure Vito Verona went. No, they didn't. Verona hosted Roma, and they went behind Lorenzo Pellegrini, continuing his phenomenal start to this Serie A season but Antonin Barak, Gianluca Caprari of course he did because I criticised him um, and <laughs> Davide Farioni scored to to complete a, a decent comeback for Verona and get them three big points in, in the post EDF era yeah Again, it's with this whole kind of honeymoon period type stuff. You change a coach and uh, they get their first win of the season and uh, some lovely goals too. Uh, mind you, the Barak goal to make to make it 1-1 was probably the most bland of the goals. Pellegrini's goal, as mentioned earlier, was a fantastic backheel. Just uh, delightful stuff. And uh, the likes of... Uh, Alessandro Del Piero and Roberto Mancini scored goals like that back in the day, but uh, good to see someone from the current crop produce something special like that. Um, the Caprari goal just sliced through the Roma defence. Uh, that was a fine strike on it, on his part. And uh, But uh, the winner from Faraoni, that was superb. Uh, like Kev touched on uh, before, just to control it first and then to just slam it in. Uh, fantastic technique. And uh, a worthy win of the game. So hopefully that's the uh, catalyst to start off the season on a good way. And maybe my prediction of uh, the Jello Blue getting relegated is going to go completely wrong simply because Di Francesco was sacked after just three rounds. Kev, do you want to complain that Jose Mourinho wasn't celebrating this or something? Because I know you were weird about that last week. <laughs> no, he, you know, he's, uh, he had his usual face like thunder after a defeat. Um this time, I think he came out and said that this is going to take him some hours to work out what happened. Um, I imagine uh, whether anything's been lost in translation. He just it's because they've effectively been put to the sword by two wonderful goals of the three, and you can't really legislate for that. I think that might have been a little bit overplayed. I'm pretty sure he just said, "Oh, we need to watch it back to see where we went wrong." I'm pretty sure it was just oh, okay. a normal thing, but yeah, it's, I, I it's, might be it's wrong. certainly been mistranslated in the. English side of the right. I did. I, I do have to throw in the caveat. I, I saw a lot of it in English, and then I, I I went and I saw the quote in Italian very quickly while I was walking back from the train station. And I do. I'm pretty sure he just said we, we need to watch it back. But 
I didn't hear the tone or anything, so I'll look into it. He's, he's given us a Spog's box office, which is what you want him to want him to give us, Connor. So. But he didn't. This is the thing, right? When he's box office, love it. When he does nothing and people try to make it something, that gets under my skin. He was asked what went wrong, I'd imagine, and he said, "We don't know yet. We need to look into it." And that's a thing. It's ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. It's not a story. Anyway. The football isn't finished because Lega Serie A just like making our lives complicated. Udinese host Napoli on Monday evening. The Partenope, of course, have a, have the opportunity to go clear at the top. If they win, they go into 12 points and their nearest competitors are the, the two Melanese sides who are both on 10. But it's still far too early to be talking about things like that anyway. Head over to patreon.com forward slash forzaitalianfootball.com because Kev and I will be back in your ears very, very soon with the, the preview of round five. And the chances are, by the time you're listening to this, that will also be out. So do head over there, sign up for the five euro tier to avail of that. Two euro patrons will get the first, what will they get? The first newsletter of every month and one free bonus podcast every month patrons you're getting three pieces of content a week so head over five year old month and support the website and get more excellent stuff as the season progresses we're having a lot of fun over there you get to hear people like kev kev's wife makes an appearance sometimes ewan is involved as well we need to get veto in too sometime soon time zones are, are causing a little bit of a problem with that um but anyway kev say goodbye goodbye everybody veto yes we we will actually we'll try get you on some historical stuff for the patrons as well but for now say goodbye goodbye speak to you again soon bye
questo fuoco chi vive in Calabria, chi vive d'amore, chi ha fatto la guerra, chi prende il 60, chi arriva agli 80, chi muore al lavoro. Chi prende amuleti, chi scrive poesie, 